You're listening to 1 Thessalonians, a sermon series about finding hope and understanding in a hopeless world. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how are we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah? It is good to see you. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them they need to smile. Yeah? Tell them they'll never be as good looking as you, but a smile will help them, right? Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. We're starting a brand new series on the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And as we start today, let me kind of ask you, have you ever been tired? Anybody here, you ever been tired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been tired. Some of y'all are like, what is Robert talking? Yeah, 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 I'm tired. But you know, you're tired, and so I'm talking. But uh, how many parents are here? If you own a child, raise your hand. Yep, yep. If you are a parent... If you, if you are a parent, you know what it's like to be uh, tired. I got three kids and, and all of them, man, I don't know what it, what it was with them, what it is uh, with them, but you know, when they're younger, really young, and you're trying to get them to go to sleep, you're trying to uh, get them to take a nap, man, things get really trying. Uh, so Lawson, you know, he's about six months old, and uh, so we're trying to get him to go to sleep, we're trying to get him to go to bed uh, not too long ago, and he's almost asleep, you know what I mean? And me and Amanda, we're getting excited, you know what I mean? Because we get to finally have some us time, you know? We get to watch TV, we get to eat. Anybody ever been there? Just go to bed so I can eat, or just go to bed so I can go to bed. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so we're excited about it, and so he's almost there, man. His eyes, his eyes are closing, you know, but whenever this is happening, you have to make sure that you avoid eye contact with your child. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know? Because I mean, he was almost asleep. And so we're kind of excited and I messed up, man. I opened my eyes and he saw my eyes open and it was like, he got a second wind. You know, he went from to you know, let's play, let's stay up all night, man. I mean, but again, if you've got kids, you know what it's like to be tired. You know what it's like to be tired. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. We all get tired from time to time. Sometimes we even get tired in life. Have you ever, you ever maybe said something like this? Why do I, why do I try so hard? I mean, it doesn't seem like anything is working out. Why, do, why should I even bother? We're, when, we get, when we get tired, we get discouraged. When we are tired, sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes when we get tired, we, we stop focusing on the things that we need to focus on. When we get tired, sometimes we, we quit. We quit things. We quit things. You know, I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever said this, but maybe you've got a job and things just aren't working out real good and you go, I'm tired of this. Anybody ever said that? I'm tired of this. I quit. Maybe in your marriage, you said, you know what? I am tired of this. I quit. Sometimes we quit on things in life, but sometimes we also quit on our relationship with God. I mean, the road that he calls us to live, you know, gets tough. We say, God, I thought you said that the path was going to be straight and narrow. You know, uh, this is not straight. I can handle narrow. I mean, I can suck in, you know what I mean? But this path that you're calling me to walk doesn't seem straight. You know what I mean? It seems really rocky. It seems like there's all sorts of curves. It's treacherous. It's difficult. And there are times, God, when what you are calling me to do, the way that you are calling me to live my life, there are times when it looks like you're asking me to be a God walking on a tight path 
rope, on, on a tightrope with sharks swimming underneath and, and flying hungry hippos, you know what I mean, trying to, to get me, man. And you want me to walk this tightrope on a unicycle and carry a cross while I'm doing it? Man, this is hard. It's difficult. And so some people, again, they quit. But the church in Thessalonians was unique. When things got tough for them, they, they didn't quit. They kept going. They survived. And they didn't just survive. They actually thrived. So how in the world can you and I get to the point in our life when that's true of us, where we're not just surviving, we're actually thriving? Well, that's what this whole series is going to be about. We're, we're going to be looking at a group of people who got things Right. We're going to be looking at a church that got things right. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians. That's what we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, kind of let me give you some background to this. What you need to know is that 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. And this is actually the first letter he ever wrote to uh, a church, not just the first letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, because there is a second letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. But this is the first letter that Paul ever wrote to a church. And so let's see what he says. Start reading in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now let me stop for just a second because you may be wondering who in the world are these, these guys? I mean, I know who Paul is, the apostle Paul, but who is Silas? Who, who is Timothy? Well, what you need to know is that these guys are like the A-team, okay? Anybody ever, ever see that show, the A-team? Like the original A-team, not like that new one. Anybody remember the, the original? Yeah, we're the people getting old, okay? We are. That's an old, that's an old show. But man, these, this is like the Christian A-team. These were guys who got things done. And the Bible says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they keep on going, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you. Now, isn't that a, a good thing for a pastor to say? We, we always thank God for all of you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they loved these people. They loved this church. And they say, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Everybody say faith. We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Everybody say love. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. Everybody say hope. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. Do you see that? Severe suffering. This, this church, this group of people, they, they were suffering. There was persecution going on. And it wasn't just a little persecution or a little suffering. Again, it is severe suffering. And he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith, is, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Where was their faith known? Everywhere. Not just in some places, but everywhere. Wouldn't you like that to be 
said of you that your faith is known everywhere. When you go to Walmart, people know your faith. When you go to school, people know your faith. When you go to work, people know your, your faith. Everywhere you go, people know your faith. He says this, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, this is a church that in spite of being tired, in spite of being persecuted, this church right here had hope and this church right here didn't quit. They did not give up. They were a church again that got it right. And, and don't you think that you and I need to get it right? I mean, as Christians, don't you, don't you really think that we need to get it right? Because let's just be honest, a lot of times as Christians, we get things way wrong. We get things way wrong. So, so I don't know about you, but I want to get things right. And so I want to point out two things to you about this church that hopefully will help you get it right, will hopefully help me get it right. If you're keeping notes and you want to write it down, first thing I want you to see is that this church, they worked with the right motives. They worked with the right motives. Now, how many of you have a job this morning? You work, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are lying, man. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? We all, most of us, most of us have jobs and we live in a society that promotes work. We really do. Uh, like if, if you have kids, you teach your kids to work, right? Uh, I've, I, again, I got three kids, but uh, I remember one time Brianna Grace had one of her friends over, uh, Morgan Rouse, and so they were over at the house. And you know how you love kids, you know, but like when they're always bugging you, you're like, go outside, do something productive. Well, that's kind of what that's kind of what happened. So Brianna was there, uh, Morgan was there, and Sadie was there, and I think Brianna was six or seven. Sadie was two, and I said, "Girl, you, girls, y'all need to go outside and do something." When I was your age, I had two full-time jobs, and I had to walk to school uphill over broken glass. You know what I mean? Because I'm from Pearl. That's right. Uh, but I mean, I had to I had to do all these things. So go outside and do something. Go outside and cut the grass. Well, I knew that they weren't old enough. You know what I mean? To run the lawn mower. Uh, so here's what I did. I got a picture right here for you guys, I think. Yeah, I gave them all scissors. You know what I'm saying? I said, get out there and cut it all. When they got done, I gave them a nickel. You know what I mean? But we do. We promote work. We promote work. We promote labor. This idea that you need to try, that you need to, to try. We promote endurance, that you don't need to quit. You don't need to quit. Society promotes those three things, work, labor, and endurance. But look at what Paul says in verse three again. Paul says this, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your, your endurance that is inspired by hope. Did you know that faith, hope, and love, they, they should be the most obvious characteristics of a Christian. Did you know that? Why? Because those three things are the greatest evidence of Christ living in your life. They really are. If you are saved, again, if Christ lives in you, you will have faith, you will have love, and you will have hope. And faith is productive. Faith produces work. 
Love is productive. Love produces labor or it prompts us to, to labor. Hope is productive as well. Hope, what it does is it causes you and I to endure. Now, in the world in which we live, you're encouraged to work hard. You're encouraged to labor hard. You are encouraged to endure. But the world doesn't, doesn't teach you those things based off of faith, hope, and love. They don't teach you those things based off of faith, hope, and love. No, you work, you labor, you endure for profit, promotion, and significance. Those are the three motives for the world. You work, you labor, you endure to get ahead. Well, again, there is supposed to be something completely different about the way that you and I live our life. If we're going to be called followers of Christ, there should be some different motive of our heart. And so the church in Thessalonica, they weren't working for profit. They weren't working for promotion. They weren't working for significance. No, they worked with the right motives. And that's what God wants for you and wants for me. He wants us to have the right motives. And so let's break down these three things real quick. Let's break down this idea that their work was produced by faith. What does, what does, that, what does that even mean? I want, you to, I want you to know that this church right here, if you want to write down a couple things about this church, maybe three or four, uh, this church right here was a supernatural church. The church in Thessalonica, it was a supernatural church. Church, and we live in a day and a time in which we are fascinated with the supernatural. We really are. Stranger Things. Anybody ever seen that show? Supernatural. Anybody ever seen Ghost Adventures? You know what I mean? We're, we're fascinated with the supernatural. Well, listen to me. Church is not a country club. It's not. Church is not something that you just attend. We actually believe that the presence of God Almighty is right here in this room today. This is a supernatural place. Jesus said, hey, look, if your church is so small that only one or two people gather, you need to know that I'm going to show up there as well. His supernatural presence is there. God is attracted to his believers. He is attracted to when his believers gather in his name. He's here right now. See, you might not be able to see the person of Jesus Christ, but I promise you can feel him. I promise you can feel his presence. Look at what Paul says in verse 5 here. He said, our gospel came to you not simply with words. Paul said, I mean, we preached, we used words, but not simply with words, what? But also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Come on, doesn't that sound like church? That sounds like church to me. That's, that's why there are times when you come to church and maybe there's a song that's being sung and you know, you're standing there and you're just listening to it and maybe the, the hairs on your arm will start to move and you're wondering, what in the world is that? It's the presence of God. That's why sometimes when you and I are worshiping and you don't even know why, but maybe you just feel overcome and you want to cry and you're like, why am I crying? It is the presence of God. That's why sometimes when the pastor is preaching and you're going, man, it's like something grabbed your heart and you said, man, I, I need to get my life straight. I'm a mess. Anybody ever been there? That's the Holy Spirit convicting us. See, church is not just a place where you see and, and hear. It's a place where you feel the presence of God. That's why I love coming to church. That's why I love it. When I come to church, I expect to feel God's presence because he is here. This was a supernatural church. 
Something else about this church, not only were they supernatural, but they were selfless. They were selfless. Let me get a sip of water. I'm sorry, I'm not used to really uh, drinking water. Anyway, selfless. They were selfless. What you need to know about this church, they just kept giving and giving. They kept serving and serving. They kept volunteering and volunteering, and they kept promoting the gospel. I heard about a guy who was serving in the Civil War, and man, he's out there fighting, and cannon went off. The cannonball came, and it hit his leg, and his leg just it blew his leg completely off. So one of the medics came, one of the medics came over to him to try to help. And they were like, man, you know, I need to tell this guy how serious his injury is. And so he looks at the guy and he says, sir, he says, I just want you to know you lost your leg. You, you lost your leg. And the guy said, I didn't lose my leg. I gave my leg. I gave my leg. See, there's a big difference in that. Some people, when they come to church and the offering plate goes by, you know what I mean? And they put money in, they put their tithe in. They think, well, there goes that money. I just lost that money. Sometimes when people are asked to serve, they're like, I'm not, I'm not going to serve because I'd just be wasting my time. I'd just be losing my time. You're not losing those things. You're giving your money. You are giving your time. And you're not giving it to me. You're giving it to Jesus. And what I have learned in my own life is any time that I give into the kingdom of God, I don't lose anything. I'm merely investing it in something that has a huge rate of return. I'm not losing nothing. And God, God investing in his kingdom, there's nothing greater than that. This was a selfless church that knew what it meant to give, and they gave with the right Heart. It was a supernatural church. It was a selfless church. And the next thing that I want you to see is that it was a steady church. It was a steady church. So the Super Bowl was a couple weeks ago, and uh, Justin Timberlake, he, he, uh, he, he performed at the halftime show. I was busy, so I couldn't do it. Uh, so he did it. He performed at the halftime Anyway, he performed at the halftime show, and he used to have this song years ago. It was called Bringing Sexy Back. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that? Well, you know, I think that steady is the new sexy. Steady is the new sexy. We don't, we don't need to bring sexy back. You know what I mean? We need to bring steady back. That's really, that's really what we, we need. See, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ladies who say, man, I just want me a sexy man. You don't want a sexy man. You don't. You want a steady man. Any married ladies here, that's, you know that to be true. You want a steady man, right? Amanda was blessed, and she got me, and I'm both of them, sexy and steady. Uh, I'm just kidding. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. Delusional. But anyway, I mean, again, but, but, but the truth of the matter is you want a steady marriage. You don't want up and down and up and down. Am I right? You want a steady life. You want your kids to be steady. You want, you want them to be steady. This was a steady church. They just kept on keeping on. They kept on keeping on. They kept giving. They kept serving. They kept loving. They kept on keeping on. They did not quit in their endurance. The reason why they did that is because they hoped, they had hope that Christ was going to return. Do you know that Jesus is coming back someday? He's coming back, and he's coming back for his church that is enduring, for people who keep on keeping on in his name. This was a church that had the right motives. Not only that, but the second thing that I want you to see this morning is not only did they, have, they work with the right motives, but the next thing that I want you to see is that they were inspired by the right models. They were inspired by the right 
models. Look at verse 6. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Young people, listen to me. This is so important. Be very careful who you decide you're going to look up to. I'm serious. Be very careful who you look to as a model. See, the world is, the world is going to twist your mind on what a good model looks like. Like when we hear that word model, you know what I mean? What do you think about? Right? I, I'm a, I work on the runway during the week, you know what I'm saying? I'm a model. Just kidding. But I mean, so, so we, we think, hey, we think of models, right? You think celebrities. Celebrities, what do they do? They become role models, right? Athletes, what happens to them? They become role models. But usually, usually those people are not the kind of people you need to be looking up to. Usually, those are not the kind of people you need to look to as a role model. Like, like what's interesting is sometimes in movies, we see these mentoring relationships that take place. One of the greatest movies of all time is The Karate Kid, the original, not the new one with Jackie Chan. You know what I'm saying? But y'all remember the old one, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel Sun. Ah, right? Y'all remember that movie? Wax on, wax off. Well, there's this scene in that movie where Mr. Miyagi's got some chopsticks, and what's he doing? Anybody remember? He's trying to catch a fly uh, with a chopstick. And so Daniel's son, he walks in. He's like, yo, Mr. Miyagi, man, uh, you want to use a fly swatter? That would probably be a little better. And you know, what he, you know what Mr. Miyagi says? Mr. Miyagi says, man who catch fly with chopstick can do anything. I believe that. If you can catch fly with a chopstick, you can, do, you can probably lick your elbow. You can do anything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you can do that. But I mean, again, that's what's going on. There's this, there's this idea, again, there's this mentoring relationship. Well, what Paul is trying to say to the people in Thessalonica, he's not saying I was your Mr. Miyagi and you guys were my, my Daniel son, but what he's really saying is that I tried to model something for you. I really tried to mentor you. And again, the entire Bible is full of those types of relationships. Jethro mentored Moses. Moses mentored Joshua. Eli mentored, Eli, uh, Eli mentored Samuel. Samuel mentored David. David mentored Solomon. The, Jesus, was, Jesus mentored the, the disciples. Again, all through the Bible, what you see are these mentoring relationships that are taking place. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Well, look at what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We need to make sure that our role models, the people that we look up to are followers of Christ. Not money, not women, not drugs, not anything like that. We need to make sure that they are followers of Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 20, you really get to see what a mentoring relationship actually looks like. Again, you get to see the life of Paul. Paul is about to say goodbye to the people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, the elders in Ephesus. They were great friends. He had spent three years with them. It's a very difficult time because he doesn't want to leave them, but it's time to leave is now. And so I want you to see what happens in this relationship. If you really want to know how to be a great leader or a great mentor, or if you're someone looking for somebody who can mentor you, you need to look for these four things. If you want to be a great mentor, the first thing you need to know is you've got to have proximity. You've got to have proximity. And what that means is you've got to be close. You've got to get close to one another. 
up close and personal. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul says, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul didn't say, I showed up one day and told you some stuff and then I left. No, he says, I was there with you for three years. I was an example to you. I tried to live this out. And Paul also, he wrote the book of Philippians and it's to the church in Philippi that he actually says this in Philippians chapter four, verse nine. He says this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. How many of y'all feel like you could really put that as your Facebook status? Whatever. Not just some things or a lot of things, but whatever you have learned from me or received from me or heard from me or seen in me, put those things into practice. I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I can always say that especially not this past week. Man, I had to go to Walmart. I hate that place. Test my patience every time. Had to go in there just to get a few things. I go in there, and I'm in the checkout, and in front of me, there's this little kid. He got snot and boogers all hanging down his mouth. I'm not talking about just a little. It's a lot. I was like, oh, anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I said, man, that boy need to wipe his nose. And so uh, eventually his mom turned around and said, boy, wipe your nose. And so he did. He just took his hand and it was like slime, you know. I was going, uh, uh, uh. I'm, I'm trying to turn, you know what I mean? So he's looking at it going, man, what do I do with this stuff, you know? And so I'm sort of, uh. That boy turns around and wipes it on my blue jeans. I'm about caught a charge. What? Man. I don't know that I can always say that about me, whatever you've seen in me, heard from me, received from me. But I do know this. That's how God wants us to live our life. God wants you and he wants me to live our life in such a way that whatever it is that people hear from us and see from us and receive from us, that they can say, wow, I want to put that into practice. That's how God wants us to live our life. And so what that means is you have to share your life with someone else. You have to let people get close to you. You have to get close to other people so they can see that it takes proximity. The next thing a good mentoring relationship takes is authenticity. It takes you being authentic. It takes you being real. In Acts chapter 20, verse 19, Paul says this, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. He says, man, I didn't try to hide my emotions. I was real with you, with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. See, folks, listen to me. If, if you really want to mentor people, you got to get close to them. But, but you, you also have to be real. I mean, Jesus said, go, right? Go to people. Get close to people. But you also, again, you have to be, you have to be real. You don't have to be cool. You don't. If you want to mentor somebody, you ain't got to wear skinny jeans. That's nasty anyway. Don't do that. <laughs> Praise God. Just be real. Be authentic. So, see, 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 younger people, sometimes we look at younger people and we say, I don't know what's wrong with young people today. Well, I know what's wrong with them. We raised them. Right? We raised them. We raised them. And so don't go to a young person and be so out of touch with reality that you're fake. 
I remember when I was a teenager going to church, man, there was this preacher who every time he preached, he said something like this, every day with Jesus just gets sweeter and sweeter. I thought, bro, where are you from? I've had some days with Jesus that were rough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're rough every day with Jesus, sweeter and sweeter. I don't know what he's talking about. He was high, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> something, something else that people say, man, I heard a preacher one time say, sin isn't fun. I thought, bro, wh where is he from? If sin wasn't fun, he wasn't doing it right, right? Sin is fun. That's why we're tempted to do it. That's why we're tempted to do it. But you can't just sit here and talk so fake to an individual. You have to be real. You've got to be real because young people know fake when they see it. They do. Be authentic. So to be a great leader, it takes proximity. It takes you being authentic, authenticity, and it also takes integrity. What does that mean? It means you've got to live a, a righteous life. You have to live a righteous life. In Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 34, look at what Paul says. He says, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. You know what he was saying? Paul was saying, I wasn't trying to take advantage of you guys. I wasn't trying to take advantage of you guys. I wasn't telling you to do something that I myself wasn't willing to do. Again, I tried to be an example. So to be a great role model, it needs proximity. It needs authenticity. It needs integrity. And the fourth thing that a great role model needs is longevity. Longevity, meaning you just keep on doing it. Don't give up on people. Don't quit on people. Verse 24 of Acts chapter 20 says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep on keeping on, keep modeling, keep reaching, keep loving, keep serving, keep being an example. We need people who aren't going to quit on us. I thank God all the time for two men that showed up in my life when I was a teenager who didn't quit on me. John David Scott and Jess Rokas, they, they, they were great role models to me. They invested in me. They didn't quit on me when I was a punk kid. They just kept on doing it. And I saw in them a righteous individual. And see, I want to encourage you today to look for the right examples. Not just that, though. Don't just look for the right examples. Be the right example. Be the right example. Be the right example. Kids, you can be an example to your mom and to your dad. And to other students, you can be an example. Man, I'm a dad, I'm a pastor, I'm a dad also. It blesses my heart to know that my 11-year-old serves at church. Blesses my heart. It blesses my heart to see other young people writing name tags, passing out papers, picking up papers after church. It blesses my heart. It blesses my heart. And as long as I'm a pastor... It doesn't matter where I am. As long as I'm a pastor, I want to look at young people, and I don't want to say, oh, yeah, God one day is going to use you. I want to look at them and say, no, today God wants to use you. Today. If you read the Bible, 
If you read the Bible, what you're going to see is that God used children. He used young people. He used a young shepherd boy named David to defeat a giant that had the entire nation of Israel shaking in their boots. Jesus used a little boy's sack lunch to, to, to feed over 5,000 people. I believe in kids, and I believe in the youth of the church, and we need to believe in the kids and the youth of our church. Anybody here, have you ever seen the, the Winter Olympics? Are you watching them right now? Anybody watching those? No, people. I saw their ratings were really down this year. I don't know why. Anyway, so uh, back in 2012, the Olympics, they were in they were in London. They were in London. And so uh, every year before the Olympics start, you know what they do? They, they, they have this flame, this torch that comes out. Somebody's running with a torch and they go and they light the Olympic flame. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, it happens. It's a real deal. And so uh, in 2012, they were wondering, man, who's going to be the person that comes and lights? Who's going to be the person that comes and lights the, the flame? Who's going to be the person that, that, uh, that does this? And if you don't know, they actually take bets. You can actually gamble on this. They take bets to see who it is that's going to, to be the person who, who lights this thing. And so there's this boat coming up. There's this boat coming up, and you can see a flame, but you don't know who it is. And everybody's like, who is it? Who is it? Who's got the flame? And it was David Beckham. I think we've got a picture of him. How many of y'all know who David Beckham is? Soccer player. My wife thinks he's nice to look at. And uh, she's sometimes drooling over him. And so one time I was like, I said, Amanda, you take away his money, his pretty hair, and his muscles, a six-pack, what are you left with? And she looked at me and said, I guess I'm left with you. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> but anyways, David Beckham, he's... He's running. I'm like, David Beckham, why in, the world is he, why in the world is he the one doing it? And so he gets off the boat, though, and he hands the torch to this guy, to another guy. Check out this picture. He hands the guy, this guy in the white. How I many of y'all know who he is? Probably not. His name is Sir Steve Redgrave, and he is Britain's greatest Olympic, uh, Olympic uh, athlete. I mean, he's won four gold medals in four different Olympics. He is a rower. That's how good he is. Four gold medals, four different Olympics. And so, I mean, this is the kind of guy that you would think should be the person who lights the flame. You know what I mean? He runs up, lights the flame, everybody cheers. He has his moment of glory. You would think, again, that's what he does, but that's, that's not what he did. Instead, he's got this flame and he runs up and watch what he does. Look at this next picture. See, these, there's seven kids behind him. Seven, some of them are teenagers. Seven teenagers behind him. Seventeen years behind them, and we don't even know who these people are at the time. They're just aspiring athletes. So seven kids are standing there. Seven kids are standing there. Two billion people are watching this happen around the world. And do you know what Ray Redgrave did right there? Do you know what he, you know what he did? He took his torch, and instead of running up and lighting the cauldron, instead of running up and lighting the flame, he took his torch, and he turns around, and he lights the torches of these seven young people. And he says, this is your moment. This is your moment. He says, I'm not going to seize this moment for myself. I'm not going to try to make this about me. I want to light something in you because we see something in you. Even though these seven individuals had never competed in the Olympics, even though they didn't have any Olympic titles or any Olympic medals, he said, you know what? We believe in you. We see something in you. So even though you haven't had success yet, we want you to know we believe 
in you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling every young person, I believe in you. God believes in you. It doesn't matter who you are today, how old you are. God looks at you and he believes in you. He's trying to light something in you. Did you know that God's got plans for you? See, I'm wrapping up, but he's got plans for you, great plans. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God looks at you, and he says, I want to use you to change the entire world. The entire world. God looks at you, and he looks at me, and he chose us. He, he died for us. That's how much he loves us. And that, my friend, should take our breath away. That God looks at us that way. It's a breathless wonder. See, when you and I see ourselves the way that God sees us, when, he get a, when we get a glimpse of the person that he truly desires us to become and what he wants to use us to accomplish... That's a wow moment. It's a wow moment. I'm telling you today that God believes in you. He believes in you. I believe in you. That's why Jesus ascended. That's why he, he didn't just stay. He turned around to his disciples and he turns around to us and he says, go. I'm lighting something in you. Again, I believe in you. Paul believed in the church in Thessalonica because they worked with the right motives. And they were inspired by the right models. And I want you to know today that God believes in you. Let's get things right. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But I know sometimes, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that God believes in us. Sometimes it's hard for us to see ourselves the way that God sees us. But I'm telling you today that you are special. So special he died for you. So special he loves you. And so if you've never experienced his saving power today, that's why you're here. You say, man, I'm starting to feel something. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to God the Father. And so if you'd say today, you know what? I want to be saved. I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to give my life to him. I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray with me. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Forgive me. For living for myself for not living for you. Father, today, I confess you as Lord and I confess you as Savior. And I ask that you save me and that from this day forward, I would begin to see myself the way that you see me. Father, that I would walk out of these doors and know that you are with me and that you've called me to greater things. Thank you for saving me.
We're going to continue to pray, but just for me, nobody's looking around. But if you prayed that prayer today to be saved, right where you are, I'm just going to ask that you lift your hand just because I want to know. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for saving souls. Thank you so much for saving people. Thank you for saving me. Father, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for believing in us. And today, Father, I pray that we would truly understand that you search our hearts. And so may we work with the right motives. May we be inspired by the right people. May we always look to you, Father, we pray in Christ's name.